Well, if I've not met you before, my name's Jacinda. I do have a job title here. I'm one of the pastors here at Coast. It's wonderful to have you here. I'll tell you what, with all the kids gone, if you're way up the back, there's a whole lot of space up the front. You'd be doing me a favour. I'd actually feel like I'm actually talking to somebody. So come on up. You don't even have to sit in the front row. There's like all this band just here. Unless you just want like to be able to get some fresh air in the back. Well, it's, uh, it's the end of our series that we've been going through. Um, we started a series, I think it was in February, but we've had a few uh, stops and starts along the way. We've, uh, we've been looking at this whole thing of being fully alive. What does that mean as, uh, as we follow Jesus? And it's been a little bit uninterrupted. We had the move here. We've had our weekend away last weekend. And of course, we needed to just push pause to create some space for us to be present to what happened in Christchurch a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, so if you haven't been with us through all of this series, unfortunately, I can't even refer you to some of the messages on the website because we've had some technical issues uh, with the move and we've got a new sound system and we've just had a few glitches, which we think we've all worked out now. So, uh, so we should be able to do that. But because we, I can't just go, just catch up on the website, I'll just give you a quick overview of where we've been because uh, we're going to come into land today. So over the last few weeks, months, we've been uh, looking at this whole thing of being fully alive, and we've looked at areas of our lives. Um, Matt started out the series by talking about how we want to be intentional. We actually need to be intentional if we want to grow and if we want to be fully alive, if we want to step into this life that, uh, that Jesus invites us into, but we actually have, we have a part to play. We have decisions to make to actually take us into that, to be able to lean into that. And so he talked about that our first week, how by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we can make intentional decisions. Ooh, did something just happen there? Ah, oh, there you go. I have surround sound. And, uh, and then we moved on and we looked at things like being spiritually alive and emotionally alive and alive in our work, which was fantastic. Kedan did a great job of that, considering how much of our lives are spent in our workplaces. You know, what does that look like to be alive in our work? And, uh, and we referenced being relationally alive uh, when we talked, when we had our first Sunday here about carrying the culture of who we are uh, all the time, and we want to pursue real relationships with God and with one another. And so as we're going to come into land today, we sort of want to weave all of that together. And as I was considering, you know, and sort of looking back at where we've been and just talking to, to God about, okay, God, is there anything else? Is there anything else that you want us to notice before we sort of move on into this next series, which we're going to kick off next week? And, uh, and I went right back to the verse that actually started this all off, which is when Jesus is speaking to his followers and the people that were around him at the time, and he says this in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I kind of feel like I've come all the way back, full circle, right back to where we started from. When you look at other translations of the Bible, they talk about an abundant life or uh, that we would have life in all its fullness. And so we're going to actually just unpack that just a little bit more to sort of give us a landing pad as we finish up here. But before we do, why don't we pray together? So Lord, we are so thankful that you're here with us today.
we're here at your invitation. We're here because of the things that you're doing in each one of us. And Lord, we, we come with a whole lot of different circumstances, our families, our work, our life circumstances. But Lord, we want to come and we want to be present with you. And we're so grateful that you say that you're with us, that you will be with us. So Lord, as we take another look at this whole thing of being fully alive, of what life to the full looks like, Lord, I pray that you'd come and that you'd speak to each one of our hearts because you know where we need life right now. So would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are open to notice you, to pay attention to what you catch our attention with. And we ask that you'd speak to us today to continue that transformative process that you have us in. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you know, often when you, when you think about uh, Jesus, and, and certainly as we're coming up to Easter in a few weeks' time, you know, there's this, this whole emphasis on what Jesus did at Easter time that offers us forgiveness. We often think about that, don't we? We celebrate that when we do communion. We take communion together as a church family every month because it's such a significant moment in history when Jesus actually conquered death and made a way for life. Forgiveness is part of the story. It's an awesome part of the story, but it's not all that he came to offer us. He offers us life. Not life just for when we die and eternal life, but life now, here. And uh, I know when I came to faith, I was about 11. It's just a little while ago now. And, uh, but I, what I remember for a large part of my early years when I was in church was that we talked a lot about the forgiveness of Jesus, but I don't really remember hearing a lot about life now. It was kind of like you come to Jesus, you ask for forgiveness, he offers this forgiveness of sin, he makes it a possibility for us to have relationship with God, which is just amazing, and we get a ticket to heaven when we die. And then you sort of get on your merry way and you live as good a life as you know how to live, and then, you know, we're sweet. But there's way more on offer here for us than that. If that's kind of what we came in on, then the good news is there's more. Jesus came that we might have life to the full, abundant life, rich life, the fullness of life here on earth, not just that we have to wait until we experience that in eternity with him. And as you start looking in Scripture, you realize this whole theme of life is all over the place, all through it. And so I've just grabbed a few verses for us to have a look at. Some of that's in the Old Testament, which are the books of the Bible written before Jesus lived on earth, and the New Testament are the books that were written afterwards. And so let's just have a look at some of these, just as we sort of orient ourselves to this whole offer and invitation that God gives to us all the time for life now. In Proverbs, it says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In Psalms, you have made known to me the path of life. And John, and him was life, and that life was the light of men. We see Jesus saying this in the book of John, Come to me to have life. I am the bread of life. We're not actually going to be nourished and find it anywhere else. 
And lastly, whoever believes in me, this is Jesus speaking, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. I don't know about you, but just stop and think about that for a minute. Streams of living water will flow from within them. That sounds really good. Sounds really good. And that's what's on offer. So what was Jesus actually talking about when he was talking about life? When he was talking about this full and abundant life? What do we think of when we hear that phrase? For some of us, we're thinking, oh my goodness, my life is full already. Like, you know, we kind of think of the calendar. There is so much activity in there now, I don't think I could squeeze in anything else. Like, that's like pushing me over the tipping point. So some of us think, oh my goodness, I can't take any more fullness. Another way of looking at it, and this is certainly how I would often hear that verse when I was younger, is I'd think, so life to the full sounds like I am going to be happy all the time. Life is going to be good. If I just follow Jesus, I'm going to be happy. Life is going to be sweet. Here we go. Yeah, I was disillusioned quite quickly with that. But it just makes you realize that actually faulty theology, thinking, theology is just the way that we think about God, what we think about God. That's how we understand him. So that's what theology is, if you ever hear that word thrown around. But the way that we think about God is actually really important because if we, if we buy into that theology of thinking that the fullness of life means that everything's going to be wonderful, we are ill-equipped for the seasons when it's not. We are people that are called to live in a both-and tension. We don't get to choose either or. And that's something that people have been grappling with for a long time this whole thing of being fully alive and what does that mean and how do we hold the tension of all of the things that happen in our lives? How do we hold that all together to be able to catch a hold of what Jesus was talking about? In the second century, there was a man called Irenaeus. He was a Greek cleric and a bishop and he uh, was a significant person in terms of our Christian theology, uh, the development of that and um, in his period of time, there was a whole lot of thinking called Gnosticism that was prevalent at that time and that threatened the theology of the church. And what it, the reason it was threatening is because they denied the human flesh and bloodness of Jesus. They were saying he's just this enlightened spirit or some kind of lesser deity, but he was not human. There is no way that God would enter the, the fleshy messiness of humanity which would mean that he couldn't die on a cross and he couldn't be raised again. So you can see why that's actually a really big deal. And so Irenaeus was one of these people that were sort of having to take this on, head on, and hold fast to, to orthodox belief that had been handed down from the disciples. And so when he's, he has this famous quote that he, and we, if you're in church circles for any length of time, you're bound to hear it at some point. And this is what he said, the glory of God is man fully alive. So this whole idea of aliveness in terms of how we're made and how that reflects on God and how, you know, like how we live that out was part of the conversation even then. And uh, I'm just going to read you a quote. I didn't put it up on the screen because it's really long, so you'll just have to listen. 
But this is a, a reflection on what Irenaeus was talking about, this glory of God as man fully alive. Now, when Irenaeus describes the glory of God as the human being fully alive, he is correcting this aberrant and heretical notion that Jesus was not fully human. Irenaeus countered that, in fact, the glory of God so inhabited this man of Nazareth that he was fully alive to all of what it meant to be human. Jesus experienced hunger, thirst, weariness, frustration, sorrow and despair, and he experienced the joy and the beauty that came with complete dependence on God. To be fully alive, as one sees in the life of Jesus, includes all human experience, the joy as well as the sorrow. It's both and. Human beings are fully alive as they find life in this one who in his human life reveals both the eternal God and the vision of God for fully alive human beings. I'll talk about that a little bit shortly. Certainly our lives include events and seasons that we wish were not part of the fully alive human experience. But perhaps those who seek true life might recognize these appointments with both death and resurrection as an entryway into a deeper understanding of this human experience. And as that door is opened, we can be ushered into the deep and abiding fellowship of the divine community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not phantom spirits, not distant deities, but intimates to all that it means to be human. And that's written by Margaret Manning who was a speaker in the States, and she says that Jesus lived the depths of the human experience as one of us. He wasn't just... So here's the thing. The both-and living is is not an easy thing to do. It's it's a hard one to even get your head around at times, but then living it out can be even more challenging. But the thing is, is that Jesus didn't just come to show us who God is. You know, I've often said to you, if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. You know, Jesus is sort of the answer to everything there. So he came that he would be able to show us what God is like. He showed us what the kingdom of God is like when he demonstrated that here on earth. But he didn't just do that. He also gives us a living example of what a human being living life to the full looks like. He does both. That's, that's, that's profound. We get to look at Jesus and find out who God is so we can come to relate to him in a way because we discover that he's this highly relatable God and at the same time get clues on how it is that we're to live into this fullness of life. And that means that we have to live with the tension of both and. We can't deny the hard parts of our lives. We can't sort of just push them off to the side and ignore them or diminish them because they are actually important. They're part of our formation. I know for me, many of you know my story. I was diagnosed with a chronic uh, autoimmune illness uh, when I was 11 years old. I've been on medication since I was 11. I have to take it every day and I will do till I die. I've had lots and lots of prayer because I know that I follow a God who can heal. I've prayed for people and seen amazing healings. I've been healed of other things. And yet, I continue to have Hashimoto's disease. There's tension in that. There's a having to learn how to live with things that feel paradoxical. But I am a both-and kingdom-living, Jesus-following person. This is part of the journey. 
So where Margaret references, you know, that Jesus came so that we would be able to know God in ways that had never been available to people before, and we get to see what it looks like to be fully human and to be fully alive, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Have you ever seen, um, like, old art? They've been grappling with this whole idea of, like, God being, I mean, Jesus being fully divine and fully human for, like, forever. And we won't get into all of that now, but I just thought, just, you know, side note, um, you would see pictures. I think we've got one that will come up. Here we go. So you would have seen art possibly, you know, through your, if you're into art. And uh, you'll often see these pictures. This is Jesus, a representation of him, and he'll have these two fingers up. Have you ever noticed those in some of the, you know, the artist's portrayal of him? Those two fingers are saying, I am fully divine and I'm fully human. So every time you see that symbol, that's what that's referencing, that he is both. He is an archetype of everything for us. So then where do we go to discover this full life from the one who came to show us the way? That, that's exactly the point, is that if we want to figure out what life to the full looks like, of how we live that out, what do we do in different situations, then we want to go and look at the life of Jesus. There really is no other way. There's no shortcut to that. And we're so fortunate that in our day, we have Scripture. We have these four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four people that lived with him, worked with him, traveled with him, did life with him for the three years of his ministry every day, and they have written their stories, their testimony of what they saw, of what they experienced, of what they learnt. We get the benefit of that. We just have to open the book and find out what's in there. And as I was thinking about, okay, Lord, what, what is it? What are those, those things that you did that helped you to live this out, helped you to kind of navigate all of the things of life? If it isn't just about me being happy, if it isn't just about life being good, how do I live this fullness of life with all that life throws at me? And there were three things that struck me as I was reading him. And, uh, and these are probably helpful things for us as we go forward, is that three of his constants, the first one is, is that he prioritized his relationship with his father. He prioritized his relationship with God. And the way that he did that was he would regularly take himself away from everybody else into places of solitude and silence. Does that like immediately sound inviting to you? Some of you are nodding. You must be the introverts in the room. <laughs> I am not one. Silence and solitude. Honestly, when I was younger, that sounded like a death sentence. It's like no people and no conversation. It's like, ah. But Jesus, regardless of whether things were going really well, when his ministry was at its peak and people were flocking to hear him and like, you know, he was healing people and it was just like going off the charts, he would take himself away to be alone with God. And then when things were really hard, he did the same thing. It's like this constant thread that just sort of ran through all of what he did. From the time he was a young boy, you know, we read the story of how his parents lost him. And they found him in the temple, learning about God. Being with the teachers that would teach that stuff to young ones. He prioritized his relationship with God. And for us, 
It's hard, isn't it? Perhaps I'm the only one in the room that's ever battled with this thing. It's just not that straightforward. One of the things that I've found particularly challenging is just when I figure out a great way of like how I seem to be able to connect with God, where it just like it just flows, and it's like I find a bit of a groove, and then life changes. You know, you either go through some sort of transition, or there's like a different season, or the needs of your family have changed, or work rhythms are different, and suddenly all the stuff that worked in that season don't work anymore. And I'm like back to the drawing board again. And, and honestly, <laughs> just keep this amongst yourselves, for the longest time, I just thought I was the worst Christian. For, not just for a little while, for years and years, because I could never seem to figure this out. Like I would just get it and it would change and I'd feel like, oh my gosh, I've blown it again. Like I just, I want to, but I just can't seem to make this happen. And that, you know, and then you'd just figure it out and then something would change again. This is a challenging relationship. For me to tell you it's a piece of cake would really not be, it would be a disservice to you. A lot of people I talk to have wrestled with the same things where they'll look at other people and it seems like they've all got it figured out. They're the people that get up for the quiet time at six in the morning or earlier, you know, to have hours of prayer before they go off to church or or to work. Oh, they'd probably go to church every day as well. We, we, so, we, we have no idea what's going on in the lives of other people, but I've been fortunate enough to have other people who are further ahead in the journey than me tell me you are not the only one that feels like this, and there is a way forward, because here's the thing, is Jesus is invested in this relationship as well. It's not just me trying to figure out how to be with him. God is longing to be with me. God is longing to be with each one of you. He loves spending time with you. He wants to communicate with us. So what I have been learning as time has gone by is that I don't have to sort of sit there and kind of mm, mm, drum it up. I can actually ask him, God, I so want to be with you. I so want to find a regular way of just spending time, of wanting to be quiet, of wanting, of learning how to be quiet, of, of wanting to hear your voice, of wanting to spend my life on you, with you, for you. Show me how. What, what, what's my part in this season that's going to bring life to this relationship? And then a year down the track, I'll have to do it again because it's not the same anymore. But do you know what I mean? It's like we, we often tie ourselves up in knots and feel like we're failing so badly, and yet it just, that's not him. That's us. The other thing I see Jesus prioritizing is his relationship with people. When things were great, he was with people. When it was really hard, he still had some of his people. And I know that that's a challenge for us as well, eh? As we get older, our lives seem to fill up. I mean, I look at my teenagers. I've only got one left now. But, I, but you know, like she's just left school and has just started working and you're navigating that whole change, you know, to life. And it's like, oh, my goodness, I have to be at work. She's been doing opening shifts half past five in the morning. <laughs> uh, when you're 17, that's really quite something. Um, and learning how to, like, manage her life now. There's not all this, 
you know, free time to just hang out with friends. And so having to be more intentional with choices, like this person's really important to me. I've got to book it in now. It's not just incidental. We find the same thing, don't we? Like, I know there was a period of time when Matt and I were both studying for our masters. We were working. We were raising our kids. We were trying to make sure there was food on the table and the house was relatively clean. You know, all of the, the stuff that there is in life. And after a, we'd been, our masters took like four years to do. And after a couple of years, we realized actually those friendships with these people that are really dear to us, we just are not seeing them. We haven't actually seen them for the last 18 months, hardly at all, because we're so, you know, stretched <laughs> with all this other stuff. But the, the knock-on effect of not being and just having regular contact and time, not even just picking up the phone, there's just really no excuse. And then I wonder why it is that I'm feeling isolated. It's because it, we hadn't prioritized time with those people. Matt's an introvert, so he felt that slightly less intensely than I did. But, and he needs less people than, than I do. But, you know, like we just, we don't need to have heaps of people, but all of us need some. You know, when I'm 80, I want to have friends. And so to make sure that happens, I need to be investing in my relationships all the way along, even when I'm in the thick of raising my children, even when I'm studying and stretched thin, trying to juggle all the balls in life. I cannot allow, I have realized, to not stay connected to people. And so much of my journey with God has actually worked out in my relationships with, it, with you, with my friends. It's a vital part of my formation, actually. And then the last thing that I see him doing is that he lived a life with an outward focus. His life wasn't just all about having his needs met. He lived his life for the sake of others. It was always like he would be looking outward. What is, the, what is God up to in this person's life? Where is the kingdom of God at work in this person? How do I encourage them? How do I lead them into life? What story do I need to tell? Who do I need to have dinner with today? And for those of you who are like perpetually helping other people, please note that he also took time out to look after himself. Some of us really need to hear the part about living outward, and some of you need to hear the part, notice I don't include myself, uh, of like stopping helping and looking after yourself. Both are really important. We need to be doing both. But, but we don't ever want to lose that perspective of looking beyond just me. Because we, it's just not healthy. And the way that Jesus kind of lived out those priorities was through all of the different seasons of his life. I'm looking at him and he has good times. There are parties. I love the fact that his first miracle is turning water into really good wine at a party, at a wedding reception. Like, you know, all the guests were amazed because they brought out the best wine at the end. And it was actually the stuff that Jesus had changed. You know, he loved celebrating. That's something we want to do. We want to be really good at celebrating the good things in life. Yesterday, I had the pleasure of going and, uh, and celebrating the impending arrival of Caitlin and Thomas's new baby. And they had this amazing baby shower with too much food. Um, but, you know, like we want to celebrate those sorts of moments, don't we? We don't want to like just have them slip on by. We want to celebrate the things that are going on in people's lives. I love it when we get to hear the stories of what God's been doing in somebody's life. It's just so, so good. 
Like last weekend, we all, were nearly 200 of us piled off up to, um, what was it, Marsden Point. And we had an amazing time. We threw wet things at each other. We had food. We sang songs in the dark. We danced in the dark, some of us, if we were really brave. We had, we had long conversations. We just played games. We, you know, it was just, we had tons of fun. It was just wonderful. We want to make sure that we maintain those relationships through the good times. But it's not always going to be easy, is it? It's not always going to be good. Sometimes, even as we look at the life of Jesus, he was in the desert for 40 days. Can't imagine that that was fun. I've been in the desert in the Middle East. It's not a place you'd really want to hang out. It's like, it's not inviting at all. As I sat in my air-conditioned bus, I'm like, far out. That's a lot rockier than I was expecting, and it is just so barren. It's just amazing. But he spent time there battling. He spent time being misunderstood. He had lost friends along the way. He had people accuse him of things that he wasn't guilty of. He grieved the loss of people that he loved. He was betrayed. He was brutalized. He knew pain and suffering. He didn't avoid it. And I think one of the things that, you know, was a gift to us last weekend was we got to hear the stories of some of our coasties, people here at Coast Vineyard. And we had young ones, kids, young adults, adults, telling their stories of, of their encounters with God, of the ways that God's answered prayer for them or just met with them in different seasons of life. And some of those stories were set within the context of really hard things. And God was there. God was there. I think we, we need to be careful uh, that whenever something hard comes our way, that we don't automatically assume that that's not God. It's, it's easy sometimes for us when something hard or something challenging or painful happens, it's easy sometimes to default to, well, that must be the enemy. And the reality is we have one. As we read right at the very beginning, the enemy comes to destroy, to bring death. However, we also know that God allows hard things in our lives. And the reason for that is for us to be able to go to places in ourselves and in our, in our relationship with him that will never happen any other way. The amount of times that I've talked to people when they're in really hard things that would say, I don't love this situation, but I'm so grateful for what it's done for my relationship with God and what I now know about myself. So we just need to exercise some wisdom around that, that we don't automatically go there. And I think our default position is always, just as Paul says to the Hebrews in the book of Hebrews 12 too, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens, whether it's good, bad, and everything in between, let's just get in the habit of fixing our eyes on Jesus and doing the best we can to pay attention to what he's doing day to day. So we have Jesus in good times and bad times or hard times, and then there's just all the ordinary time that there is. You know, one of the, the great things about doing the master's programs that we were on was that we got to travel. We did two study modules. We do a whole lot of reading and study ahead of time, and then we went to the Middle East for one, and another one, we followed the footsteps of Paul around Greece and Turkey. 
talk about bringing your Bible to life. And we had lectures as we traveled. So it was a really unique learning experience. But one of the things it did for me was it helped me to realize, you know, when you read Scripture, it says, well, they traveled from, you know, here to here, Bethlehem to Jerusalem, or they traveled from, you know, here to here. And it just sort of sounds like they were here, and then, boom, they were here. And then they had this thing happen. But actually, there's all this time. You're there, and you're sitting on the bus, and it's like, this is taking a really long time. And if they were walking, that would take even longer. So there's all this ordinary time that just happens, that Jesus, that we don't maybe have fleshed out quite the same when we read Scripture, but that he lives in the midst of, and God is in the, in the midst of that as well, the eating, the walking, the fishing, you know, the just being with friends, telling stories. There's all of that time, and we have that too, don't we? We have, we have work. We have Mowing the lawns, we have getting the groceries. We, there's all this ordinary time. And we can live that with him. Because life, that's life. All of it, it's all life. And it's abundant and it's full if we invite him into it all to transform it all. And the thing that happens as you do the good times, the hard times, and the ordinary times is that our hearts are knitted together. If you think about the people you do life with, as you journey through all those different seasons of life, don't you find that your hearts are knitted together? You get to know each other in ways that you didn't know before. The same thing happens with God. The same thing. And you can find that you can be in situations where you feel, this is this both and thing, where you can experience quite contrasting emotions or reactions to one event. Like at the moment, you know uh, that Kiran and Rebecca, Kiran, our son-in-law, Rebecca, our daughter, who you met just earlier, are getting ready to leave. They're going to be moving over to London in June. They have booked their flights. It was a moment. Went from being a lovely idea to, mm, they're really going. This is one of those moments where you can, you know, live with tension you know, being convinced that this is a good thing. We're so excited to see what God's going to do in them and through them as they go and do this. And at the same time as me knowing it is right and good, there's sadness and loss. There could be some tears in June. I'm just warning you now. There could be some tears. Yesterday, you know, I got to go to this baby shower and then I came home and I watched the live uh, stream of a friend's funeral in Canada of a woman that has been profoundly impacting in mine and Matt's lives. We have all of the contrasts of life, don't we? But as we try to walk that out with a mindfulness and an awareness of God and of us as best our, our, as we can, just living with arms and hearts wide open to him. He fills it, and that is the abundant life. Because in the midst of all of that stuff happening, we get to know him, and that's the key. The result of prioritizing our relationship and journeying with him through everything that life brings our way is knowing him, and that's the key to abundant life. In John 17 verse 3, it says this, this is Jesus speaking, even though he sort of talks about himself as the third person. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
that's life. That's eternal life that starts here. This fullness of life. John Eldridge, who's an author, he says this, Jesus makes no mention of length of days, health, prosperity, family, or occupation. As a matter of fact, the only thing he mentions is knowledge of God, which is the key to a truly abundant life. And where do we get to know him? In the context of our ordinary, messy, unpredictable day-to-day lives. That's where we get to know him, and that's where we realize how known by him we are. So as we land, as we finish up, we want to live this abundant life now. It's not something we have to wait for. It's something we get to live into now. Part of that means that we're going to have to live both and, learning how to live with some of the tensions that there are in life, of recognizing that there is going to be great times and that there's going to be some heartbreaking ones. But he will be with us in it all. Our constants can be our relationship with him, our relationship with each other, and constantly looking beyond ourselves. And we're going to get to know God on the way, in the good, the hard, and the ordinary. That's the invitation for all of us. And regardless of whether we made a decision to follow Jesus yesterday or today, or whether we made that 30 or 40 or 50 years ago, it doesn't change. It's a choice we could keep making day after day after day. Sometimes, multiple times in a day, because I forgot (laughs) since breakfast this morning. But that's the invitation. So I just want to pause for a minute, because this is actually really important for each of us to actually contend with. It's not, not just sitting. I know it's hard, this whole me talking at you and you sitting there and having to try and actually pay attention for 35, 40 minutes. But here's what I trust God to do, is that as you listen, he's either going to take some other random, completely nothing to do with anything I'm saying thing and drop it into your head and heart because that's exactly what you need to be thinking about right now. Or there's something in this message that's for you. Because I trust that God keeps forming us incrementally, bit by bit by bit, day by day by day, and that he uses these sorts of gatherings conversations that we have over coffee, you know, opportunities to pray for each other, listening to a sermon, songs from a worship song that we've sung earlier, to continue to shape us and to form us and to keep moving us forward in our relationship with him. That's why we come together as the gathered body of Christ, because he does all of that right here. You can't even tell, can you? You look around, it's like, all looks very ordinary to me, but he's doing amazing things inside of us. And Matt and I and Kiran, we have the privilege of, of often hearing some of those stories, and it is just awesome every time. So what does this all mean for you today? That's not a rhetorical question. I genuinely want you to think about it. What does this fully alive mean for you today? How fully alive are you? Has God actually caught your attention with something? today. Because if he has, pay attention to it. Don't let it slip away. Write it down. Stick it on your phone so you can actually give time to it. It may be that wherever you're at at the moment, you're actually in the thick of some wrestling with him about some of the hard things or about trying to navigate this both-and approach to life in a healthy way. 
but we're just going to wait for a minute, okay? Is that all right? Because he's here. Why don't we just close our eyes for a second? And we only do that just so we're less distracted. There's nothing spiritual, really. That's all it is.